Hi everyone, uh, it's Riley here, doing a little bumper, so you know, it's going to be some context. Um, this episode was recorded well before any of the lockdown stuff happened, so its topics are going to be a little bit strange, um, because it's myself, as well as friends of the show, Jesse Bernard, Natalie Ola, and Tom Usher, doing a joint book club, but rather about nightlife, and what nightlife means, what it does for community, and what creates and destroys nightlife in both these in this economy of a city, especially London, um, because we recorded this before you know uh, the lockdown happened. You'll notice that the lockdown as a great threat to nightlife hasn't really come up in it. However, I also th- believe, and one of the reasons we're still releasing this is that once the lockdown ends, whenever it ends, whatever ends means, and nightlife comes back, I don't see many of the pressures that were exerted on it going away. So if anything, if you're thinking about doing something related to a scene or nightlife or parties or whatever, the problems we're talking about are just sort of being pushed down the road. So uh, yeah, that's why we're still releasing it. And that's why I think it's still going to be a lot of fun to listen to. And also, I'm sorry that comic book clubs have been so delayed. That's because of obvious reasons to do with um well if current events and um current events and current events in all the various forms however we are going to make sure that they start coming back and they're going to be monthly again and i know that we've basically missed a a couple of months so i'm going to be working to sort of make sure that we, we get some back episodes coming up nice and quick so without further ado uh let's enjoy queue up and get patted down by the bouncer for entry into Riley's Commie Nightclub. Enjoy. There's a real danger that this edition of Riley's Commie Book Club, which I'm tentatively titling Riley's Commie Nightclub, uh, <laughs> could end up as four people in their late 20s and early 30s talking about how clubbing used to be better a decade ago, damn it. And you know what? It did. (laughs) (laughs) It fucking did, okay? You'd be right. You'd be right. Go fuck yourself. We're right. Um, I don't know where the Zoomers are going now. I don't know if they're going anywhere, but, um, but we are talking about the decline of nightlife in London and why that has been such a loss. I am uh, from Riley's Comedy Book Club, the titular Riley. Um, I am joined by returning champion, uh, three-timer now, Natalie Ola. <laughs> Hello. Uh, and returning champion, two-timer, Tom Usher. Hi. Ladies, he is not a two-timer. I sound really ill, by the way, because I'm ill. So, yeah. <laughs> I sound really buzz and sniffing. I'm not doing drugs. I'm actually ill. Yes. And also, we are joined by first-timer, Jesse Bernard. Jesse, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing, everyone? Uh, Can I just what? check one thing really quickly? Is a Zoomer a Gen Z? Is that all we're calling them? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I just need to check. I need yes. to check. Sorry. Okay. No, that's, just that's what we're clear. calling them. Okay, cool. Uh, yes, we are all we are all sitting around the uh, the TF studio table. We're all um, we're all drinking lem sip and, and ginger tea <laughs> and whiskey and whiskey and brandy actually. But yeah. Uh, and no, I, I it's this has been a, something I wanted to talk about for a little while, and I wanted to talk about it in the more Serious, not serious, but more sort of the less cum jokey um, realm of the monthly Riley's X, Commie X Club episodes. And um, sort of arose from a conversation I was having with Tom 
where I was noting, we were sort of talking about, reminiscing about this club called Plastic People in Shoreditch, um, which was one of these last, last sort of places that had sort of an aura, a sense of place, a sense of story uh, that didn't feel commodified and sold on, that closed uh, sort of a, not to, a couple of years after I moved here in 2011. And we were, we were sort of thinking, what's, what has replaced plastic people? What's come to, what has come to fill that void? And that sort of brings up all these other questions of what is nightlife? Why do people do it? Why do people keep trying to close it down? And, and so forth. But I'm going to start this as a roundtable question on a bit of a lighter note. Who here remembers the summer where fabric, we thought that it was closed. <laughs> they thought Islington Council was going to close it. And then all of these incredible DJs poured into the country who would ordinarily go to fabric. So none of us would see them. But then they played venues that weren't fabric. So everyone got to see them. <laughs> I remember that summer very well because it was all about, I remember I actually spoke to Alan Miller, Alan D. Miller, I think who was uh, not a nighttime star, but he was a part of the NTIA, which is like the Nighttime Industry Association or something. And they were, he was basically very vocal because he used to run 93 feet east, I think. Mm -hmm. And then they tried to shut that down. Um, they used to, used to do reggae roast there and stuff. And they basically tried to shut that down and shut his club down he had there. And um, he kicked off and it was a massive thing about it. Um, and obviously I spoke to him about it. And then it was all linked to the drugs deaths. So they had like the pill deaths and then they tried to blame it all on fabric. Yeah, it was weird because fabric is basically like fucking Every time I go to fabric, I feel like Frodo trying to get into fucking Lord of the Rings like <laughs> Bouncers in there are fucking they're the hardest motherfuckers out there. I, I remember like I've I've had multiple friends Taken aside and beaten up in there for shotting like I don't even know how people are getting pills in there anyway but the fact that they even did is like they're on some fucking James Bond shit. It was like the most incredible. Well, it's just I can't I can't even even if you put it in your shoe, they've taken off my shoes before. Mm -hmm. They've definitely gripped my fucking balls. They've done. So I don't know how, how getting people in unless they're like putting it in their like ears <laughs> or like their hair or something. I don't know. But yeah. Oh, so yeah, I remember that summer. But it was also a weird one because after a while, it kind of almost thing when they reopened, it was like, did they just do this? It's like a marketing thing, and they kind of almost did the reopening as a marketing thing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. There was the whole, um, I mean, there's also loads of complaints from like local residents, et cetera. And I, I remember that summer really vividly because I'd moved to South London, so we were going to Corsica Studios far more, and that was fine. Like, no one paid that any attention. You could get away with whatever you wanted there. Mm. And I remember thinking that was a real like pivotal moment because it was while the Haygate was still there. It was that, that moment just before Elephant got completely transformed. Well, and demolished. No, no, no. Corsica is still there, but it's very no, different. No, no, the um, estate next to it. The estate, yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah, big yeah. estate at, at oh, Elephant that got uh, demolished. So I remember, like, I, I mean, it seemed very, like, closely tied to, like, gentrification. Obviously, that part of Farringdon is, like, very affluent. It's very aspirational. It's a lot of, like, people that work in finance who live there otherwise. And so it just felt like it was really closely tied to the whole gentrification thing. And I remember just wondering when the Haygate comes down, when Elephant changes, will this club kind of go the same way? And it hasn't. It's, been, it's still there, but it is... I think it's it's very different now. It feels far more kind of like tightly controlled. Yeah, I think for me, um, <clears throat> so I, I hadn't been to Fabric for a couple of years mm -hmm. uh, when the news kind of wrote that it was going to be shut down. I don't um, think anybody had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but yeah. it was more just like kind of that feeling that, oh, somewhere that we used to go mm. was going to be closed down. And maybe it was the fact that, oh, it was maybe some 
maybe we all kind of just had this hope that it would come back to life or something yeah. and it would be a place yeah. that we'd go to in the future. There was always going to be that one weekend I was going to go see True Players with all my mates and it was going to be the best night I've ever had yeah. when I'm like in sometime in the future, but not right now because it mm. looks kind of a bit like cold and I don't really want to go in that queue. Yeah, pretty no much. <laughs> and I think also a lot of it was to do with like the Crosswell um, oh, yeah, of course. as well, yeah. which I mean, no one even knows when that's going <laughs> to yeah. be finished. I feel like that's the biggest... Like kind of money laundering scheme. Yeah. yeah. When is that seen. meant to be finished? Like anytime soon? Well, there's like, the debates about whether they're even going to finish, even going to do it. Mm. And it's just, yeah. Wow. It's, 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 it's a big garden bridge for the entirety of money. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. I, 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 <laughs> I, do have, I do have this feeling though that there is, that the, the nightlife that has emerged, the, the zombie London nightlife, I don't know when it died. I just know the last time I really sort of felt that kind of excitement about going out at night to a place playing music to dance with a lot of other people yeah. was that summer fabric closed. Yeah. Sorry, that last time I felt that in London. I felt that in other cities. Yeah. But I haven't felt that in London since around then. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I've been thinking about it a lot because I was... I. Like my, the tendency is always obviously to blame the kind of like, like to blame the powers that be, right? And to blame the the people that close it down but I was also wondering whether it's like a change in like the kind of people who are going out because like going out becomes so prohibitively expensive and like living and basically surviving in the city becomes so prohibitively expensive people who've always lived here or lived here for a really long time aren't those people who are going out like the people with the appetite to go out or the money to go out are the people the transplants here or who are moving to work in like the financial service or, or whatever and they're the boring they're the boring bastards like they're the ones who I think are driving the kind of like weird I can't remember the name of that club the um uh, the ball pit the ball pit that oh, kind of yeah. stuff. like I think actually we have to look a lot more at like the people that are migrating to London as like you know oh, it's like, for it's economic like opportunity Sydney if you look at the Sydneyification of London where they've got it where basically everyone in Sydney is kind of just going there to have a job and they're usually well there's not a lot of expats but people a lot of people flock to Sydney as the capital in Australia but then they've actually like curtailed nightlife to make it like a 3am ban or something yeah. mm -hmm. and it's yeah. like and then because nobody really cares because everyone, their nightlife is literally going out to all bar one or slug and lettuce or the yeah, Australian exactly. version of that, yeah. which is like and this, the slug and, and like fucking koala or something. I don't know. And then basically it's like, and so that, but they actually enjoy that. That's I mean, they're just gonna, if you're just going to do chop, you're going to do loads of coke. You can go to all bar one or slug and lettuce, do a bit of coke, then go home to your bed and clap them. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's what a lot of people want to do. Yeah. They don't actually want to go to a rave and like, re like ruin their like Sunday yeah. personal training well, it's session. Got, it's yeah. got to be low stakes because you've got to be in work exactly. at like seven o'clock on Monday right. morning and you've got to like, yeah, sorry. And I think that's the difference as well. I think a lot of those people aren't going out for music primarily. Mm. And that's the, that's the key thing there. I think if you're going out for music primarily, you're not going to go to all bar one, be at yeah. one, print works, or whatever. You're I don't know about you, print, but I, print I, I works, love... That's the name of the club I was <laughs> yeah. looking for, I, I, yeah. I, I love the DJs they have at all bar one. I actually, I actually <laughs> once saw Marcel Detman play at the all bar one in Holbert. Really? <laughs> <laughs> It wouldn't surprise me though. Yeah. Moody Man just drops in. Oh my goodness! Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. It was great. It was great. I got, I got to hear. I got to hear Did Ben Clark's remix of "Immolate Yourself." No, of course, fucking not. <laughs> yeah, I got to hear Ben Clark's remix know. of "Immolate Yourself" at a Starbucks. <laughs> Whilst everyone's doing like two Peronis for like yeah. eight quid or something. Yeah, uh, there is. I think there is this. It's really difficult to tease out why it feels like the story of nightlife in London, at least since I've moved here, has felt like one of decline. It's felt it, it and this has been noted in my this the venues that I would have liked to. That I, when I came here, I was obsessed with with dance music, and the first thing I did was I went to Plastic People. I also went to Fabric, but I found that very disappointing. 
I think fabric started sucking before 2011. Like, yeah. um, and like, I remember I went, I've, I've been a, a couple of times just because, like when Ben Clock came and played, I was like, fuck it, I will endure fabric because I want to go see Ben Clock. Right. Um, but otherwise, I, it, I remember I have gone from, uh, I, I went from liking, pla- from li- loving plastic people and then as I became more of a settled person here with more friends who I wanted to go out spontaneously with, if I wanted to, I, I, and I was, my center of gravity moved from, Dal- from to Dalston, uh, it would places like um, Visions, Dance Tunnel, Nest, mm-hmm. like the only, pl- of mm-hmm. all of the places that I feel like I would have gone, only Superstore is left. Yeah. 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 When did Nest go again? Was that Nest? When, no, Nest, Nest is it's when, changed its name, but it's it changed its name a couple down, but it yeah. still broke down. My mate actually was the took over as the uh, club manager, mm. f- and it they tried to change it to the bunker, I think, or something, or something involving under U N D R. Yeah, under yeah. that was it. And then um, the I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but um, anyway, there was problems with the uh, money, and they uh, they just shut down because the owner of it was just being really blasé. With their money, I think I'm okay to say that. And then literally, yeah. it was like it wasn't even a thing where the council were trying to shut them down, mm. unless, unless I guess in a way the council by putting prohibitive rents shut down every place in Dalston because mm. the Alibi Visions they went in the same year, birthdays, fact, the same week. birthdays yeah. as well. That now oh, yeah. I, did, I remember when birthdays shut down got changed into a brew dog. Yeah, and they kept the yeah. birthdays. Yeah. They were like, well, yeah. thanks gentrification. We don't even need to change the B. That's how fucking. That's how fucking smashed. I, I, smash yeah. I think birthdays for me was one of the, I guess, hardest ones for me to take because yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of the artists that I follow now, who are kind of now at the peak of their game, all came through birthdays because yeah. birthdays was one of the few. Who, places who are some? Who are some of these people that were coming up through birthdays? Oh, I mean, a lot of the grime scene. That exists now. I mean, Stormzy came through through their bonkers. Um, you had a night there called New Gen, um, which was hosted by Caroline SM, um, and a lot of the kind of kind of like AJ Tracy's would go down there as well. Um, and this was a free place. Like you, I think you had like kind of you didn't have to pay anything to put no, on the night get there. Into the basement, yeah, yeah, yeah to yeah, get in the basement, yeah. and it was like kind of you just had to ensure that oh, um, you'd make two hundred pounds or something yeah. on the night, and that was it. Yeah. Um, and now that's gone. I can't think of any other places where people can go and Brewdog. Brewdog's right there, bro. <laughs> yeah, you can you can go. You can you can get the uh, the hell bitch IPA, <laughs> and it's twelve percent. Exactly. It costs twenty pounds, it and you only get a musical. little. Uh, that's what it is. It's and like, it's like oh. it, and it tastes like you're licking a hay bale. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the beginning of the end of I thought for birthdays was when they um. Is that restaurant Rita's moved in yeah, yeah, and started yeah. doing like artisan right like tacos yeah. for like thirteen pound each? Mm. And that, I remember walking in and walking straight back out, pretty the, much. The the person the the chef of that's a listener of the podcast. What? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. Because <laughs> what I meant to say was actually Rita's delicious. <laughs> that's why I knew it was the beginning of the end of flavor deficiency in the area because it was Thank so you. fucking. Rich. No, he's um uh, he's. He's got his places in in West London now that are really really good and worth going to. Okay, great, cool. perfect. Yeah, but um, yeah, but I don't need a restaurant in a club no, necessarily. No, well, remember there were I, one of the, my favorite uh, troll articles, I, I copy pasta shit posting articles I've ever received was um, a consortium of investors are have taken over Bergheim and are now making it into mm-hmm. a Berlin's number one clubstaurant. <laughs> wow, <laughs> and it, it's a—I'll I'll share this with you guys after. It's a—it's a convince. It's a—it's a momentarily convincing article 
where they say like, yes, don't worry, we'll still offer offer revelers our Bergheim burger, <laughs> and so on and so forth. Um, but I think there is this, there there is this, there is this feeling of um of loss in 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 London nightlife generally. This there is perpetually a feeling that the glory days have gone, and this is not new. It's a feeling that's been talked about literally since I came here. There is everything has always been in decline. It's all, every every venue is always holding on. Like so, for um, American listeners, just to give you the context, um, the way that, that licensing of venues and stuff works in the, in London is you'll be given your license by a council. The council is like there are thirty two London borough councils, mm-hmm. and so like Hackney, where we're mostly talking about, is one such council. Pretty shit on nightlife generally. And they have based, and at some point, I think in 2015 or 16, they said, okay, that's it. We are not giving out any more late licenses because they're too antisocial. And this is connected to a whole bunch of things. Among them are are the fact that the fact that this place had this very exciting, spontaneous community in it made it so desirable that now the whole place is full of identical like lu- like luxury first time home help to buy target two bed flats all of which is enriching Jeff Fairburn so in a sense we have, there has been there has there has been this sense of loss partly because britain has decided economically that it's more important to enrich this one specific guy <laughs> through right. the help to buy policy yeah and so because when i think of the favorite the clubs that i like that i still go out to I might think of somewhere like studio spaces, the various Vauxhall venues, or even like um, Block, Autumn Street, but I haven't been there in quite a while. Corsica Studios is still banging. Yeah. Corsica. Yeah. I went to Corsica Studios not, uh, not that long ago, in fact. Yeah. My um, mate, I'm, I'm actually friends with the people that run it. Oh, yeah. My mate, I'm housemate, is the guy, is the manager of it, and I, uh, the guy who owns it, who used to run it with Amanda Corsica, uh, who passed away uh, a couple of years ago. They used to run it as a couple, Adrian. He's like a legend in the scene. And they've actually been, I think, pretty much, from my point of view, they're the most successful club in London in terms of how they've still kept the natural atmosphere of clubbing that I used to enjoy in my uh, late teens to like early 20s and not sold out in any way. You said that yeah. that estate got knocked down right next to it. They built a huge complex yeah. with Sainsbury's, like a gym box, all this stuff right next to it. All of the all the flats are probably unaffordable, like 60% are probably unaffordable. Yeah, and, and the like Portuguese community that run all those shops all and restaurants place. are all like, yeah, they're fighting exactly. an ongoing the, battle to kind of protect it. In the, yeah. in the arcade. Yeah. And um, yeah, and the, it's basically in the shadow of all of that. It's literally in the shadow of all of that happening. I wonder, like, do you know why they're like why they've been able to keep it there? And well, why I think it's because out? it's in the it's kind of nestled in the archway. So I think sound wise, it's quite pro- well proofed. Right. So they don't get any complaints from neighbours. Um, and even if the people spilling out, like the actual estates or the new kind of um, help to buy flats are quite still quite far away. Right. So it doesn't get too many noise complaints. And I think what it is as well is it with Corsica Studios uh, from talking to my mates. Um, do you know Trouble Vision? It's like a night um, uh, run by the Gold Brothers, and they're like basically just they they have like basically tech house deep deep um, deep house tech house night, and it's like they always just hire people people like John Talabot, um, right. uh, Alex Alex Bowman. People like this, uh, kind of like Willow, people like this, they, they have a mix of up and coming and established artists who can fill out like a 300, 400 capacity, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And they just keep it at that. 
They don't want to expand. They don't want to do anything more. They don't even really market or anything. Yeah. And people just know it. And it's one of the kind of natural stories where they don't have to market it and like push it out to be successful. Like I think, I guess Fabric has kind of got that as an institution, but Course Casinos in a way is an institution as well. I mean, they have stuff like, they do a lot of club nights as well. Yeah. So they, they do it organically without, when they don't rely to any like cheap tricks or like doing any like weird nights yeah. and stuff. I guess it's also, it's Southwark Council and I think Southwark Council yeah. might be better. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, for be- I mean, that is for better or worse because it means that you get things like Franks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because like they, they are relatively lax in yeah. terms of like what they'll allow and like the licenses that they'll give out. Um, but I think it, that probably also played a part in it. It is Southwark, right? Elephant is Southwark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but I, I guess I'll, I'll ask, and I'll, Jesse, I'll throw this to you first. Um, if we talk about these kinds of things as desirable for their spontaneity, for the fact that they feel real as though they are something that people have done without being coerced or shaped, why is there sort of so little room for that? Uh, a whole bunch of reasons, I guess. Um, I guess for, if you're thinking about a particular area, so let's say kind of Dalston, Hackney, um, if you've got kind of a new crowd of people moving in who necessarily aren't particularly nightlife driven mm-hmm. and they're, they're the ones bringing in the money, I think councils are more likely to look to them. I mean, you've got a bunch of young 20-somethings kind of going out. How much are they spending in a night? Mm-hmm. Like, and bringing, I guess, bringing in for the local, a local economy, whereas if you've got residents there, they're the ones that are going to M&S, Starbucks, all of those like week, like day in, day out, and they're going to the all, all bar ones and all those places. Those are the places that are guaranteed to generate a, a certain amount of revenue each week because mm. they're chains. Mm. Whereas your nests, your visions, they can't mm. always guarantee that they're going to bring the same amount of numbers in yeah. every week. And I think that's one of those kind of things that, um, I guess, is one of the reasons why kind of councils are leaning more mm. towards kind of the bigger. Like kind of chains and establishments rather than independent ones. Yeah. But what what do we I what I often wonder with that is to what extent I, I I know I sort of I think we all sort of are aligned on this, but I, I might as well pop this up. It feels like this is a a great sense of loss because it feels like it makes um fucking I don't know bits of Westminster or Vauxhall or Southwark or Hackney or whatever kind of the same as one another. Mm-hmm. Right. It's essentially just trying to homogenize nightlife culture. I mean, mm-hmm. I look at certain nights and the flyers where it's like hip hop, Afrobeats, rap, grime, trap, yeah. funky house, <laughs> every single black music genre yeah. you can think of. Every on. genre they yeah, can yeah, think yeah, of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas before, like you had music tribes. So I'd go to a specific jungle night, I'd go mm-hmm. to a specific drum bass night, a specific mm-hmm. hip hop night. If I'm going to a hip hop night now, I'm not sure what kind of hip hop I'm getting. Am I getting 90s hip hop? Am yeah. I getting pop rap from like 2010s onwards yeah. it, it they, they don't really specify um i think that's the issue is like then how do you even market your night when when you're just playing everything and then why would someone go to an all-night kind of event when they want one particular type of sound and i think that's the thing that's kind of got to me the most yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's less like it, it basically it's gone from something that was like for enthusiasts to like a kind of a form of tourism I guess yeah. it's like a kind of secondary industry around like what was an authentic culture like and this always happens right like something happens organically and then slowly but surely it'll be commandeered by like marketers and advertisers and sold back to people or something else and that's the point at which that dies or whatever yeah. and that used to take decades and the problem is is we're living through a time where that's happening rapidly as soon as something happens authentically you've kind of got an army of like ad people and creatives 
like living and working in Shoreditch yeah. who are commandeering it and saying like this thing's happened and like let's suddenly market it back to people and then it gets kind of sold as this kind of homogenous thing. Um, so I think that that's another and and it's not industry, and it, there's this strange combination I think and this is specifically true of the sort of especially middle class PR and ad people who are living in who are now living in Shoreditch now that it has been basically what quote unquote made safe by like. 20 years of over-policing and, you know, gentrification, um, we're, where there's a combination of, I think, cynicism about what most people want, mm -hmm. but a very classed cynicism. Mm -hmm. and, and, this is, and, and this is why I think what the, the nightlife that you end up getting becomes that of, say, print works. Which, yeah, which is, is pastiche. It's what it is pastiche. It's kind of like it's not. It's not anything. Yeah. What it is is it's kind of like one person's like very very generic impression of something that they've kind of like yeah. kind of. Well, it's literally just it's assembled. Big fuck off headliners playing in a big fuck off warehouse playing on like big fuck off like system. It's just the same. But then it's just the same thing every weekend. Mm. And there used to be exciting to see moody. When I used to see three chairs, I used to like I used to wet my pants seeing three chairs. That was like the most <laughs> exciting thing ever. Like. Moody Man, Theo Parrish, Marcel Pittman in the same room was like, what? Are you serious? Yeah. That's like a once in a year, if that, experience. Now they're doing it every other like weekend. It's like, yeah. oh, now we've got Ben Glock, Marcel Dettman back to back. It's like, what? That's another like back to back. It's like, it's almost become too easy for them to do, and too profitable, I guess, to do these huge lineups. And then when it comes to the summer, it's like, there's more... I used to, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just because I was younger, but I used to be like, there used to be like two or three festivals in the summer that were like big that I'd go to and they were the big ones mm -hmm. now it feels like there's more than like two there's more than a, f a festival a weekend that you can't even mm -hmm. go to every single festival even if I tried yeah and it's like and it happens in London now they've got the drum sheds yeah they have like field day love boxes like all this stuff it's like it's actually a saturation of like dance music where it's become too easy to see such high quality stuff yeah. and they've tried to like, instead of just being like okay like what they could have done for example drum sheds they could have, i know it's a bit like pie in the sky but they could have literally just like opened like five or six spaces within that made them all like five or six corsica studio style spaces all with their own unique like style flavor and had that space as like an area where they had like a massive like town of clubs and each individual one would have been their own separate club but instead they were just like no nah, let's just get the biggest fucking thing we can do with the biggest light show and have the biggest headliners every single week and it's like now it becomes, it's not exciting anymore because it's so easy to access. And yeah. it's like, well, it's not affordable because now the price is like 40 quid for a ticket. No, but I think what it is, I think it's, sorry, I'm kind of hogging the mic, but uh, I think um, what it is, is it's like it forms part of what is being kind of dubbed the experience economy, yeah. which is like not... The human traffic experience at Yeah, exactly. Works. The experience, this is the Bruh. whole thing, right? <laughs> that was the insane <laughs> yeah. incident. Bruh. That was the I can't believe we haven't got podcast. into that yet. That is, I just want to go. I just want to go because it's like, what? how am I experiencing an experience of a rave? Am I taking pills? Are you going to give me fake pills? Are no, you going to give me a paracetamol? What's happening here, man? But it's it like, is... It's so meta. It's like a play. Well, we got to a point where like consumerism in the old sense wasn't even enough anymore. And yeah. now like the way that we like judge our status and the way that we judge ourselves is based on like how many kind of like things we can tick off a list that we've done and yeah, how many things we've experienced. Exactly. So there's nothing, there's no inherent love for the ex for what you're doing in and of itself. There's no inherent love for one particular genre of music because you love it and you've yeah. dedicated time to like exploring it and listening to it because yeah. of the love of it. Like yeah. just it, that's it. And there's yeah. no return from it. Like now we only do things or like we've been kind of like goaded into a culture like where 
where we only feel like we should do things if there's some return on investment. If it's something yeah. we can bring up in a, like a job interview or a networking opportunity or <laughs> fucking LinkedIn. <laughs> I, I just love to see like, a networking yeah. opportunity of why, yes, and then, of course, uh, Marcel Detman came on and it was at about, oh, nine or so in the morning. <laughs> I see yeah. in your CV that you, ex- <laughs> you attended the human traffic live experience at Printworks. Mm, yes, I guess that all kind of ties in with FOMO and FOMO and all yeah. of those types yeah, of things. Yeah, just yeah. saying you were there at an event and then, I mean, there's all sorts of branded kind of events now that kind of happen where you've got all these great headliners and then people just want to say that they've been there and then yeah. when you yeah. actually find out yeah. was the show even that good or was the act even that good it's like nah not really like most of the festivals in the summers that I go yeah. to yeah. the headliners are the shit head, like, the headliners are shit yeah, yeah, yeah. because like it's not what they really want to be doing like yeah. I mean most of the yeah. people there probably have never really listened to their back catalogue really like mm-hmm. maybe kind of a handful of the kind of 10,000 people there um, or whatever. Um, One yeah. thing I think to point out, though, before someone sort of turns their phone and says, shut up, you old fogies, <laughs> which is that <laughs> a lot of these headliners that we're saying like aren't are pretty underwhelming. They're playing they're playing the, the same hits they've been playing for seven years, eight years. They're playing the hits that they were playing when we would have been telling people mm. uh, um, talking about how clubbing used to be better to shut up. It's, it's locked in this stasis. And the, I think one of the issues where we, where, I mean, and again, I mean, I, I sort of am, I'm, I'm almost going back on a bit of what I was saying earlier, where I was talking, thinking about that that one summer where every single amazing Berlin DJ all played at every pop, they crammed themselves into every venue in London to play in support of Fabric. It was like, yeah, these are still all the headline, the big, the, a lot of the people, the big headliners. But what you get at Corsica, for example, is you get people who might not be big headliners. You might hear something you haven't heard before, as opposed to being like, "Yes, well, of course, I have to, I have to, I have to make sure I, 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 I go, you know, see, um, see Andy Baumacher. I need to make sure I hear his mix downs." I, mm-hmm. There is this sense where one is curatorial and one is related to identity, and I feel like we have re- one of the reasons that nightlife appears to be dying, or at least nightlife as we might have recognized it, is that it can't sustain itself as a curatorial experience. Yeah. Quite simply because what it is supposed to be and what I think nightlife is supposed to be is something that lives on the boundaries between um, allowed and disallowed, between something that is um, sort of fun and dangerous or, or what have you. And if you're just going so you can then go, if you're just going because you're like, well, I like this song on Spotify, let's see what it sounds like on bigger speakers, yeah. then, you know, you... you there's not much that can tie you to the requirements of place and community that make a nightlife scene real. Also, if you're curating a moment, I mean, at, at the moment, if you just keep curating, like in five years' time, what are they going to be curating from, from now? Yeah. Like, mm. how are they going to... What scenes kind of, are they going to yeah, be drawing yeah, exactly, from? Yeah. Yeah. What and human traffic are they going to be like experiencing? That's the thing. So I was like, God. yeah, it's all good and well curating these moments from the past five, ten years, but in five, ten years' time in the future, like, <laughs> what is the shape, what is the kind of, I guess, the landscape of nightlife going to look like in the yeah. UK when there, there aren't as many kind of underground scenes as visible as they, as they were kind of 10, 20 years ago? Yeah. Well, what makes an underground scene possible? Well, there was that, well, there was that whole, what was the, what was the police, what was the police, um, the grime form? Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean, that. I mean, the stuff one like that, that. Matt, the one that Matt Hancock accident when Matt Hancock accidentally made grime legal. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like oh, yeah. that whole kind of stuff is like when they have stuff like that. It's like it's actually obviously quite clearly an attack on it. And like obviously, I wouldn't compare that in any way 
to like what's been happening to like the nightlife in inner city London because it's a whole different like parameters sociologically, yeah. social, uh, socially, like, um, and culturally. But I mean, it's it's basically it's it's like a it's in the same vein, I guess, where it's like we don't want like we don't want this happening here. It's like nimbyism, I guess. Is that it? Nimbyism, where it's like I don't want this stuff happening in my backyard. Mm-hmm. We've got people that no, are that's paying. That's why I like, moved yeah. to this backyard. Yeah, we've got people that are paying one million for a flat. We don't want that noise happening near them, and they're the ones that are paying more than yeah. you who just paid a tenner to get in to see a rave. So they get priority. That's but, it. But what in- is required for an underground scene? What is required for a scene to emerge? I mean, my, my theory on this is largely just drugs. A, a, a group of <laughs> my theory on this is a group of people with access to some minimal level of technology and a space that's not being watched too closely. But space I'm, like yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I feel like I mean, if I look at grime garage and all the kind of scenes, like I mean, even dance and reggae, like back in the eighties, would have been considered underground. Um, what makes those um, see what makes them underground? I guess is the fact that they've been shut out of mainstream traditional spaces, whether that's like kind of recording studios, like clubs, even radio, and all of that. So they're pushed further underground, not because they choose to, but because they've got no other choice. Um, like actually, funnily enough, uh, I used to live like kind of just around the corner from Five Miles, um, and you can actually hear the music. It's, like I lived about kind of two minutes walk down. You can still hear the music like after two AM. Um, so I wonder if that's how long that's got because I I didn't complain, but if I could hear it, then other people around the area would definitely kind of have complaints. But Form Six Nine Six was apparently kind of kind of just thrown away with in two thousand and seventeen. But last year, a promoter um, wanted to put on a drill event at, at five at five miles, and they still had to do a risk assessment form and everything like that. And the police basically threatened. The venue said that if you don't cancel this event, then um, then we'll kind of take away your license and all of that, which is basically Form Six Nine Six, but yeah. without for- calling it Form Six Nine Six. They just take away the name. It's like yeah, they're trying to yeah. do with Brexit. It's like we're just not going to mention the word Brexit anymore, but we're just going to the effects are still going to be there. So um, so they're using Form Six Nine Six a lot more these days, but they're not calling it calling it that. So it's a lot more clan- clandestine, and because yeah. they're not calling it Form Six Nine Six, they're getting away with because there's nothing yeah. to yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. and. Yeah. Because there's because the public uh, perception is that oh form six six nine six no longer exists. Yeah. There's no one pushing there's or no campaign. Yeah, there's no movement yeah. behind it or movement against it even. Yeah. yeah. That's a really interesting point actually. I think as well one of the things that underground needs in order to survive is like a really strong sense of like who it's up against and who its opposition is and how its oppos- opposition is operating. And again, I know I keep like harking on about it, but going back to the kind of like sort of like advertising industrial complex like talking about that whole dynamic i think that like what's very tricky is that like so many they're so quick to sweep in and commandeer those scenes and like start funding people and start giving them sponsorship and things like that that it becomes really really difficult then to like judge who the like who the enemy is like who you're up against like which system it is that you're kind of railing against because you're like bits of you like bits of your community are being broken off and given lots of money boiler room but well exactly <laughs> yeah, exactly I think I've no, made my boiler room, boiler room. Boiler room literally is it though. Boiler room's the kind of yeah. is the kind of I guess is the end is the end product of what we're all talking about. It's kind of not. I don't think it's the essentially the um, byproduct of dance music. <laughs> They're yeah. playing the Raytheon annual no, Christmas party. <laughs> I think it is like. I think it literally is like. I I personally I don't I don't, I don't know whether I wouldn't say it's like a like a vendetta against them. But I've got a vendetta against Boiler Room. No, no, it's not even that. It's like I, it's basically I think Boiler Room is the exact 
it's, it's the kind of quintessential element of what we're all talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's the commercialization of dance music where people are evaluating experiences, i.e. looking at things, trying to be there, trying to be the funny dude behind Kate Trinada, yeah. like dancing, rather yeah. than actually enjoying what the music yeah. is. And getting enough of the experience to be able to go around and say that they've experienced that, exactly. to talk to yeah. people about it, but not yeah. actually having any inherent like love of the thing mm. itself. Or Sponsored enjoying by it. like Bannatine's whiskey. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, oh God, I, every time I see a sponsored boiler room, yeah. I'm like, it does my head in. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, I also I think it's it's all well and good to say that yes, well let these people do their one, and then there's going to be another another different one over here because it's catering to two very different desires. Yeah. Right. Two, but the problem is there is not enough room in the market for those two desires to be catered yeah. to, mm-hmm. and and one of the, and just as um, luxury flats and all bar ones are the sort of London geographical representation of. The sort of the flattening of culture, so too is the prevalence of boiler room. There, there are even some boiler room mixes that have been made in the last couple of years that I think are really, really good that yeah, I listen yeah, to again and again. Boiler room's hard yeah. when they actually get the people on there. Yeah, fucking yeah. hard. It's just the fact that they're the way they're presenting it and the way it's kind of taken over. Now it's like you're not on. Like I've I know a couple of DJs and they're basically saying I done my career is not anything if I haven't done a boiler room. That's an interesting thing because um, but they're I guess, literally saying like if I if I don't get on there, but then their agents are going, okay, when can we get you on Boiler Room? Yeah, and, and now they're paying. It's like and then basically Boiler Room saying you do this for free. When it's like they should be somebody DJ should be getting like you know they're getting all the DJs for free. They're even doing it where Boiler Room are now trying to do it where they're trying to sell the name. So the promoter puts on a night and they don't even um, cast it. They don't even broadcast it on their channel. They just put on a night, but Boiler Room would just attach their name to it, and then you pay Boiler Room for them attaching their name to this night even though they're not even broadcasting any of the DJs or st- so it's like what's even happening you're just basically paying for the name Boiler Room to be above your ticket on RA it's like mm. it's a madness how far that to me is like the capitalis- is capitalism in dance music and that's kind of to me where it's kind of falling apart because you can't lose yourself in the moment if all you're ever thinking is oh I've got to make sure I catch Thingy Bob at 10 or got to make sure I catch Thingy Bob at 12 because you're not fucking lost yourself in a moment. You're not saying this tune's banging. If all you're thinking is, oh yeah, but then fucking Iconica's on at like 12, I've got to make sure I catch them. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's how I think it's all falling apart. But I mean, I mean, I wrote a piece last year for Trench on, I guess, kind of discussing whether kind of brands have basically co-opted the underground um, and taken over the underground space. And but my issue with that, like the boiler rooms is that, okay, so if your goal is to say, Oh, I need to do a boiler room before before the end of the year. Yeah. That's my twenty twenty goal. Or, um, but then, is that necessarily kind of developing your artistry and your talent and skill level? Because it's less so about kind of getting to a certain level, but more about getting to certain spaces and yeah. moments and kind yeah. of milestones. And I don't know whether yeah. that's reflective of someone's skill. So someone can like boiler room could come up to me tomorrow and chuck ten grand me to do a show does that necessarily mean i'm worth 10 grand or does that mean they just got the money yeah Mm. and that's the issue Mm -hmm. is that we start judging yeah venues and events based on how much money's being chucked behind it and And also who's trying to be in trying to get in trying to as you're saying it's like trying to get in front of the right people Mm. that's what boiler room the whole boiler room is trying to get in front of the right people and that's almost like what dance music become now it's like you're headlining print works to get in front of all these people you're headlining boiler room to get in front of all the right people it's not become like i just want to play some banging tunes in front of a load of pilled up heads well it's just i hate to bring it back to karl marx but there is that <laughs> someone karl had marx. to you don't hate to bring it back to karl marx <laughs> there is that karl marx quote about like i mean he refers to like the public house and the dance hall which was his equivalent of boiler room <laughs> 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 but 
but he was saying like if you don't he was like this is like this is where culture happens like culture is antithetical to capitalism it's the space that we keep like and it's yeah. really important for that reason and this is why i always worry about what happens when those spaces get co-opted and commandeered by cap like by capitalist forces because then i'm like well is there any escape from it and is there any kind of because if this is there any room for us to explore ideas alternative to capitalism if the spaces that used to be well yeah Tottenham (laughs) yeah exactly Kent sooner or later (laughs) Tottenham for now anyway yeah Yeah. Tottenham for now until it becomes Kent (laughs) but that's one that's one other thing I think it's worth touching on because you say there's this whole chance to experience one of the things I think about about culture isn't just the idea about exploring ideas outside of capitalism but in fact having rather than curating experiences that are not in the market and one of the things about the about Absolutely. the experience economy is that it's very firmly in the market. Yeah. Where I am I know I can log on to a search website. I, I could know nothing about music at all. I could log on to I could log on where to find music, Resident Advisor. Log on to Resident Advisor. I could say, oh, okay, um, Egg appears to be having a night. I can go to Egg. And then it's something that you could do as a as a tourist, as someone who hates this kind of thing. Or or whatever, and there and it flattens the difference between people who have built that built this world for themselves outside the market, um, and it, the difference between them and those who haven't. And the idea isn't to exclude people so much as to keep the market out. Yeah. And yep. there is this real conflation of um, contempt for people who come into scenes and a desire to ex- to keep the marketization uh, out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, one, it's kind of one and the same. When you complain about tourists in fabric, it's like, well, how can you kind of, you can't like... You don't hate tourists, you hate the market. Yeah, yeah. You, exactly. You don't yeah. hate tourists coming in. You hate the fact that your club has now got so huge that tourists see it as a de- tourist destination. Yeah. And drummer base isn't like a thing you used to do with your mates in like a Vauxhall Corsa smoking weed or whatever. It's now something that you're doing with like, you know, you're 32 and you wonder where the last... 15 years have gone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's like more like that. And then, I don't know. I mean, drum and bass now, it's weird how drum and bass kind of stayed the same. I mean, I look at drum and bass lineups. I've always kind of had this thing where me and my mates were going to do one last drum and bass, true players at Fabric. And I look at the lineups and it's literally the same as when I started raving at like 16. It's like mm. hype, um, hazard, uh, like um, just all the same jump up drum and bass DJs, like back to back, back to back. And it's like, bro, how have you been doing this for fucking 15 years and not got bored? You, how this? I mean, the probably reason why it has is because it's probably just been recycling pundit pundits. Um, yeah. Was it pundit? No, not pundits. Um, punters. Just been recy- <laughs> recycling new punters the whole time, and they're not. They've been getting like generate probably like two or three years. Then they get bored. Two or three years, then they get bored. But they're still the same eighteen to like twenty-one year old people. But they just they're still the DJs are all new to them. And one of the and I think one of the things to hit on is that without without these small. Um, Small without these small non-brand name venues that are much hated by councils and the forces of Jeff Fairburn and the people who buy houses, um, then you will you will be stuck. You'll be stuck in the recent past. And if you want to mm-hmm. come to the nub of it, it feels as though different as as though dance music, which when it was born, was born as a specifically anti or in some in some of its manifestations as like an anti-capitalist thing as something that was that was denying all of the all all of the um the the, the either the the the, the elitism of it was escape um, from it yeah it was escape. an escape it was, it was an escape from elitism but it was also an escape from 
the feeling that things had to have a very specific and comprehensible marketable meaning. Yep. Um, like, yeah. Purpose, marketable yeah. purpose. Yeah. You, you cannot say this is a song about X and have it clearly be radio friendly that, well, maybe it's about X, but you can't have <laughs> this is a song about some topic that is clearly marketed in some radio friendly way. Um, and that this has been that it, for a long time, very long time, especially in the UK, it maintained a sort of momentum that kept it a little bit ahead. So I think back sometimes to like the um, in the 1990s, the, the the free festivals that would pop up around London, that would that would hop up around the countryside and so on. And the way there were years where you could just drive between them and so on and so on. And this this that went away. But from that then came the more sort of stationary clubs like uh, Early Days Heaven and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. And th there was still this, this feeling of movement. And it felt, I've always felt like when I came here, I was coming on the very last infinitesimal, um, paradoxically tiny motion that it, has, it, it was at the moment of its freezing in amber. Yeah, what? Sorry, in 2011, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, there's still been some good raves that I've been to. No, Since course. then, I've 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 been to some good raves. I've been to some good raves in the last several months. When was that matter one though? When was that matter one that we were that chatting was about? Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Yeah. To be honest, that one. In terms of like raves that stick in my head as one singular rave that I went to in a club in London, those matter ones, the rinse and forward at matter, yeah. was yeah. probably the best ones I've ever been to. So you say rinse and forward? Is that connected to rinse FM and forward? Yeah. The club yeah. 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 So they well. I mean, this was this was this would have been before I came. I think. Where did they used to have their regular? Was it on a Tuesday or a Thursday? Used to have it was Thursday nights. Whereabouts? It was in. Well, was it Plastic Forward People? Forward was it Plastic People? Yeah, Forward yeah, was that Plastic was it. People. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they used to have those. Oh, and so I thought I, when you, I thought you were talking about something else. It might have been an accent. No, no, it was like a yeah, yeah, yeah. the rinse and uh, at matter was. Uh, so I, I used to go to Forward when I first came here, but yeah. I didn't. I didn't really know a lot of people, so I was more going because I was like, I feel a need to be here, but I don't mm -hmm. quite know why. That was the place to be on a Thursday. Every, every, like that was like the like rave that everyone would go to. That would be like kind of benchmark of how it's entirely London... possible we may have met before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it was so yeah. dark in there. I could never see anything. Then that was like the darkest, and that was what made it sick. You had no. I didn't even know who was next to me. Yeah. I didn't want to know who was next well, to me. They just wanted the like the darkest baseline. But then for for American listeners, can you can you tell us what plastic people is? Unfortunately, Plastic People's uh, was a club in Shoreditch. It was basically in the heart of Shoreditch. That's now like a like a Hawaiian theme. Fuck it, it's an all bar one. Yeah, it's a all <laughs> bar one. And yeah. for all American listeners, all bar one is like a generic horrible bar where people in Ben Sherman shirts go to glass each other after about four pints of Peroni. <laughs> now we need an explanation of Ben Sherman for American <laughs> listeners. Ben Sherman is a shirt. Okay, it's a right. shirt worn by one. <laughs> That's over. It's a normie um, shirt. So yeah, <clears throat> it was basically it was it was. Not the heartbeat, but it was basically like a club that was so integral to the way that London nightlife is is now kind of kind of uh, been mysticized, I guess, in terms of this incredible atmosphere, um, just stripped back um, furnishings, just heavy sound system, no minimal lighting, cheap drinks, like banging night with the best DJs, and that's basically what London clubbing used to be to a lot of us, and that's why we're all getting misty eyed. Um, 12 years later from when on wherever it closed. I feel basically. like Visions had a brief, like between 2014 to 2016, it had a kind of yeah. like, like resurgence in a way because yeah, I remember yeah. going there a few times and the queue would be all the way around the block past the station, yeah. mm -hmm. like all the way down to the library, whereas like kind of 
And I think that was partly because of the whole kind of Skepta kind yeah. of Drake. Yeah, Drake all that as well. Stuff. Like Skepta going down there a lot more. Um, Did you ever go to that time when they police shut down? The whole thing because they thought Justin Bieber was yeah. there. <laughs> Everyone was like, fucking Justin Bieber. And literally, was I was mad, sitting there going, yeah. Am I going to get in? Can I just go in? But yeah, it was like literally like a police cordon across the whole junction. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the kind of, I mean, visions, yeah, when that shut down as well, that felt for me like, because it kind of kept itself to itself in a way, like nothing ever really like wild went down there, even though it was quite like a rowdy club, I guess, when you went in. But it was like, that was a really sad one for me because it was kind of, I don't know, for me, that was like what made. London's so exciting because that was open the latest yeah. out of anywhere in the area and you go in there and it's always kicking off and that's what I loved about London was that you could yeah. go to some random place you didn't even know where it was like whatever the first time you just stumble in and it's hoofing off in there and that, that, you just don't get that anymore mm. there's no places that are like kicking off beyond like two or three if that yeah. Shapes and Rhythm Factory as well other, two others that come yeah. to mind yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, yeah Rhythm Factory <laughs> was literally just down the road yeah. as well yeah. literally just down the road <laughs> Johnny Rhythm do you remember him yeah. the guy that ran it yeah Wow, that's really going back. Sorry, yeah. that's really just taking <laughs> me back. Because I remember <laughs> a really long I went, time ago. Yeah, was, I, think. I think 2012. They used to have a right. what's it called? Yeah. Thunder. Yeah, I think that was at Rhythm Factory. I think. Mm. Or was that? A, yeah, I can't and there was Yo Yo as well. Yeah. Yo Yo, yeah. It's it is it is it is staggering how many of these places have shut, and it's more staggering as well that the the places that end up replacing them, as we've sort of hinted before, have have ended up further and further afield. And, you know, you, some might say, okay, well, then they're not going to be, these are places in, in Tottenham or spots like Fold and Canning Town. And these are places that are further and further afield. They're far from all of the luxury flats. But, um, and the, the logic goes, well, okay, because this is not some basement crammed in between like, you know, a, a kebab shop and like, uh, and, and like a, an off license in Dalston, that this is actually going to be not going to close down because it won't get noise complaints. And yet, when you look at somewhere like Fold, which is basically a, a large ex-industrial building in a brownfield that received, a, what was it, a 48-hour license, 24? Yeah, yeah, 24. Yeah, got, it got a full 24-hour license. Was just It's just shut now. Well, no, it's opened. It reopened. It reopened? I yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That, that's exciting news. Fold is yeah. sick, by the way. Fold is actually yeah. probably one of the last clubs in London where you go where it genuinely is like a fucking banging night. And it's like genuinely... Um, open to inclusive to all types of people you go there and it's like when you go when I went there and go there at six in the morning and it's just fucking kicking off and all the people there just they're there for me that's I don't even know who's I never know who's ever played I don't think I've ever known who's on the lineup of fold and I think that's kind of why I love it mm-hmm. I just go there and just have a good time and I don't care about who's playing when and I haven't had that at a club for a long long time and I think mm-hmm. fold is probably one of the last remnants of that Cors- I still I have that at Corsica yeah when I go to Corsica yeah, yeah. I'm like fuck it I don't care I know because also for me, me personally, I mean, people who listen to this show know, like, I just, I just love techno. Essentially, I just, I just want to <laughs> listen to techno. Um, Corsica is pretty, de- so pretty dependably will be that. Yeah. So I don't really, I'll, I'll check to make sure that it's not something else, but I don't need to be like, oh, I want to see this person, this person, this person's on my list, and so on. Um, I mean, so I'll, I'll go there. Um, I wasn't aware that Folded reopened. That's, that's news to me. Mm. Well, Similar to Shapes as well, because like Shapes yeah. was like. I mean, where it was in Hackney Wick, there aren't many kind of houses the, in the area. The guy garage who owns, the guy oh, yeah. who owns uh, so Seb Glover is, he's a mate of mine. He owned, he used to own Shapes mm. and uh, um, then that, that got shut down. Then he opened Fold. So he's the same guy who opened both of them. And that's why they were kind of a similar vibe. Yeah. That kind of basically was like as close to kind of being as, as, as not, I wouldn't say lax because they were obviously very like up on their, like it was like, health and safety and stuff, but it was like the most like, 
um, I guess, kind of free atmosphere you get in kind of a London club, um, which is why they were both, why Shapes was so amazing and I think Fold is so good. How does everyone feel about Bussy Building? It's changed a lot yeah. in the last few years. I to be honest, I get really confused about what's even going on there now because yeah, there's another yeah, yeah. venue at the front now, isn't yeah. there? And there's that yeah. weird, like, kind of Shoreditch House-looking thing that they've built in the oh, front yeah. as well oh, with yeah. like, the big foyer. Oh, oh. But it's become like an institution to the point where it's a bit like I don't know. When I go in now, I'm not like I don't know. It's uh, a bit like a fun fair to me. Yeah, there's like so many. Is it so many le- layers, so many levels, and I don't really know what's happening or where it's meant to be happening, and I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like Bussy Building is a little bit like a slightly more twee version of Fabric where it's become yeah. a little bit too much of an institution yeah, and it has yeah. sort of gone from becoming, it, it, it has been fallen into its own marketing and branding trap and become... Time out, top be- 10 yeah. night, yeah. <laughs> night yeah. by yeah. spot. Yeah. Yeah. We've definitely got that time out vibe locked yeah, exactly. down. Yes. Yeah. And I think we cannot overstate the importance of time out in precipitating everything becoming very boring. Yeah. 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 You know, it's the um, it is because also one of the things that that has that has led this transformation is the is is I think the the plushification of things. Whether that is the fact that many many nights out now are sort of themed and safe for people to post on their LinkedIn or like a ball pit, or I keep coming back to that because it's so <laughs> emblematic. Or, or secret cinema or, or things of that nature yeah. where there is where is where there's not this opportunity to you know step out of the market and step into something much stranger. Have any of you actually been to that print works place? That we yeah. Could, have you actually been? Yeah, I've yeah. I, 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 I got like people that make some work for Broadwick Live. Okay. I go there like a lot. Is it? I, is it? It's just, the thing is, it's just cold. Yeah. Right. I, I, I saw Skip today and it was actually quite, it was actually a lot better seeing a live artist there than a rave. Because right. it was just like, I'm just watching something and he's just there doing his thing. And yeah. it was, that was interesting for me. And be- like bicep life, for example. But actually going to a rave, it's like, I saw three chairs there right. and it was just cold. It was just blitz. I was like, I don't want to be in a rave cold. I want to be like hot and sweaty with yeah. like in the middle of stuff feeling like I'm a part of a rave. It, didn't, yeah, it felt the, really detached. The only people I've ever known that were gone there were like kind of corporate types who yeah. went, who were like into like circus like circus acts yeah. and, like, and like, like putting glitter who, on their face I am actually yeah. into circus yeah. um, I've, I've been there twice because groups of other friends were going and I don't remember who was playing but whenever it was it was the people who were playing seemed fine I was like yeah I could I could have an enjoyable time going to see going to see this person do a set I've always felt a sort of really keen sense of disappointment every time I've been Largely because of the fact that it's that the dance floor is laid out in such a way that it's incredibly long and incredibly narrow, right. yeah. and that's one of and there's just there's no there is none of that feeling of of no atmosphere of movement. There's none of that atmosphere. Yeah. The, it feels very ersatz. Right. Um. I I I wouldn't really choose a bit like to go there. A bit like he- heaven. Do you go to, I go never, to heaven? Never went to oh, heaven. I love heaven. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been a couple times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's that's a long dance, but that works. But I mean, that's because I guess. I, I, I actually wonder but, how Heaven still exists because it's yeah. like dance tunnel. Yeah, dance tunnel is quite long. Yeah, yeah, and I, guess. It's, I mean it's got that status now where people yeah. will yeah. come from overseas just to go to heaven. Yeah. yeah, and there's probably not many residents around there. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, also, like the a lot of the um a lot of the the gay spaces actually are doing or the or the queer spaces overall are like, and I wonder if actually this is related to the fact that their underground is an underground with an opponent. Mm. I wonder mm. if it's, I wonder if it's related to that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or or just because a lot, like for example, like the Royal Vauxhall Tavern has recently been like just the subject of a really, really excellent fundraising crowd campaign that's just sort of kept it open now for mm-hmm. in the indefinite future. Mm-hmm. I think actually, uh, what's her name? Amy Lam or Amy Lam? LeMay. Yeah, she's actually really good for that, to be fair. She's not been very good for anything else as a night star. But she's actually really good for, right. for well, keeping open like queer spaces, I think. Yeah, well, I wonder as well because, like, because it's a protect, like, because that's essentially like a protected characteristic, and then there's like a cultural history. Yeah, they can make more of a like solid argument political for protecting it, argu- political yeah, argument yeah. exactly, than yeah. than a club that you know doesn't have any kind of like ostensible like connection to any like identity per yeah. se. You know, yeah. I think that may be part of it. Or rather, also, if we think about the sort of resurrection of Form Six Nine Six, there's sort of there's been a sort of choice but it's like no we're not going to protect black spaces yeah. as well yeah yeah you know so it's um oh yeah it totally comes down to like what kind of like what issues are like acceptable by yeah. the establishment at that point and what they just you know deem to be you know worthy of protection yeah. so as a, as a, yeah so as a result i end up going down to Vauxhall when if i'm if i just feel like going out and nothing's on at corsica I'll be like, well, I don't know, which is interesting because i saw k trap at um the oval Back in November, um, and I oval thought, space, yeah, the oval yeah, space, yeah. and I thought, oh, there's a chance that this might be shut, shut down or locked off. Um, it was fine, like kind of, yeah. like police came afterwards, um, which was to be expected anyway. But they they didn't come to kind of lock it off or anything like that. And I thought that's that's a rarity, mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of kind of draw artists, especially, are kind of finding that they can't even do shows in the in, in London because they're getting kind of locked off. Yeah. Um, and it's it's almost just a repeat of what was happening with grime even up until this day actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, also with with drill as well, there are like, they're like, they're, the police are now like looking at drill music videos as like evidence in in cases and yeah. so on to like preemptively. But, lock, yeah. Lock but the thing is, like, if you're if you're on road, you're not going to a drill night. That's the thing because a drill night is targeted towards people that listen to drill for pleasure and for fun, mm-hmm. not because it's it's their daily lives. So I don't think the police or the government have even managed to distinguish the difference between a drill listener and someone who makes drill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're right. two they're two yeah. very different um two very different kind of people. Mm. And until they get that figured figured out then it's just going to be more the same. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure they'll be very motivated to draw <laughs> yeah. that distinction. Yeah, no, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think that's happening anytime soon. No. Well, I mean at least, at least until drill goes mainstream. Mm-hmm which will probably happen within the next year or two. What, you think we're going to have our boy in the corner moment? Yeah, I mean, Heady won. I mean, he, he kind of did that with, um, with Music and Road, but I feel like Jill will start, sonically will start to take a different direction because there'll be a desire for it to get into the charts and to make... Drake did a drill tune. Yeah, yeah, Drake did a drill tune. <laughs> oh, I mean, that, that's I mean, so embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. oh, I, I really don't want to... <laughs> I mean, oh, no. like someone tweeted, um, Drake is the only um, rapper that would actually wear a ski mask yeah, yeah, and yeah, go yeah. skiing um, yeah, yeah, in a yeah. drill video. <laughs> like, that is so true. Like, <laughs> but, but yeah, like in the next few years, we'll start to see kind of drill just becoming more accepted mm-hmm. because... Oh, and then and then at, at well. the bar with the ball pit, drill night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, drill, drill karaoke yeah. in Oxford oh, awesome no. Circus. Yeah. Oh. I can no, imagine. Don't it. summon that. No, these microphones have a special power. <laughs> drill karaoke brunch. <laughs> Fuck no. Fuck no. Fuck no. You say that, but that is seriously on the cards in the next yeah. year or so. Drill karaoke brunch with like yeah, with a ball pit. There's gonna be three course brunch menu, unlimited bubbles. 
and then just like <laughs> big dad just blaring over the string being like <laughs> <laughs> coming oh. to a space near you <laughs> i mean at least at least techno is sonically off-putting that yeah. that's not possible <laughs> like at, at least it's sufficiently just mm. unpleasant to listen to yeah yeah like un- unless you already sort of have changed your ears such that you love it there's there's no chance of a techno brunch a techno, yeah. <laughs> well fuck now that i've said it <laughs> to whatever gods that listen to this podcast and make our jokes come true stop doing that uh, but i one 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 other thing to think right I, I i sometimes like to sort of close these out looking in looking into the future we say yes well it's we've moved out of these old the, the old spaces these places outside the market these spontaneous places in spots like Dalston and increasingly I think in future in spots like the elephant and ages ago in spots like Shoreditch and so on and the energy is not dissipated it's just elsewhere it's either in new genres like drill or it's in new areas sort of like Tottenham or the far fringes like Canning Town or and then so on but if we are to allow history to be our guide in any meaningful sense we cannot imagine that um the real estate developers and dog shit labor council of um, in Herringay aren't going to just let nightclubs exist there once they push up the property values in in the neighborhoods, and that eventually even those are going to get moved farther away. Mm-hmm. Fold may be open now, but they tried to close it sort of recently. There's no reason to say that, that won't happen again, and it is I think just too bad that there appears to be very little. There is not in, in this. In, in the neoliberalized risk, risk managed world, there is very little space for something that is so transparently stupid as a nightclub. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That brings kind of like no direct return to capital and no. capitalism unless all. it's corporately sponsored. Or- it, it does, though. Yeah. I mean, it's worth billions, the nightlife industry in London, like, or in the UK, I think. But like in London, has got to be a huge part of that. How yeah, much of that historically, is historically, like, one? a rave didn't bring but, any return to capital. But even then, like, if you think about Tottenham as an area now, like, so you've got five miles and a few other places. So if all, you and your group of friends in your kind of early 20s all go to Tottenham like every week, kind of that's your place. Eventually, you're going to start gravitating towards and even maybe thinking about moving there. Mm. So there is this kind of benefit that kind of having these spaces in those kind of fringes is that I think you do kind of increase, like increase the economic value of the area. Yeah. But then it's like... It how, to Hackney. Yeah, it happened to Hackney, but then it's like, okay, how long are those, are those people going to stay there? Because they're only there for, for the. I mean, the, the clubs that's is, is what bring them brings them there. Mm-hmm. But then, what's going to keep them keep yeah. them staying and keep them living in that area? That's the thing. Like, if the area doesn't have much to offer besides that club itself, yeah, that's that's the issue that I have with kind of clubs moving to the fringes of the city. Yeah, and and where do they go? You know, once because once. What, because if you picture this, let's let's game out sort of the scenario you propose like a little bit, that people are are are, are moving to Tottenham to go to, and again like the the last time I went out in, in Tottenham, I don't think it was even to like a named place. I think it was like a squ- semi squat situation. The the kinds of places that would have been happening like this in Dalston maybe a decade ago, if not a little more. So you can see many. It's it's hacky to say X Y Z is the new Dalston. I've I, I want to, you know, throw my computer out a window every time I see a vice writer do it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, as a use, it's a useful shorthand. But let's say if we game that out, we say, okay, people are going to go to these places. And then they, eventually they settle there. And, you know, a lot of, but a lot of the people who are going and settling there 
might be you know university graduates with graduate jobs and so on who then and then all of a sudden this area then gets lots of businesses that cater to them your identikit wood panel coffee shops and so on and you kind of see where i'm going with this yeah. that eventually it's that area becomes too nice for all of the strange weird otherness uh, yeah. or at least from mm-hmm. the point of view of of, of acceptable bourgeoisness that this it's no longer suitable that this is there and it is once again upsticked and moved elsewhere and i mean how long before london's nightlife is north of the watford gap yeah well for ev- and for every person moving to tottenham because of nightlife there's like 10 more who are moving there because it's posited as like the new place to invest because it's yeah. up and coming because of the spur stadium and like because mm-hmm. of all the like gentrification that's come to the area so you what you're going to end up like within like sooner or later you'll get a critical mass of people who've just moved there like totally opportunistically because it's a new place to buy property and the property prices are going up and they work in the financial services or something adjacent to the financial services and then they'll start complaining about noise levels yeah. but also, and, and then the whole thing yeah. will be also that in Tottenham there's, there's and even in like kind of Dawson there's still those kind of what I like to call the hood clubs um, where you just see like kind of loads of kind of rasters just, just hanging out there particularly in Tottenham as well and it's interesting because those clubs are the ones that still manage to survive throughout all of this. There's a there's a there's a one on West Green Road that's just around the corner from yeah. me. I know the one you mean. Yeah. And it's like completely blacked out. Yeah. But in the summertime, it kicks off yeah. in there. Like oh, every time I go past, I'm like, I wish I could just like go in there <laughs> and do whatever those guys are doing because they are like having it in there. Basically. Yeah, it's the same actually in Peckham. It's exactly the same. Like loads of like bakery shops and like coffee shops actually come and go. Like they die a death like within six months. And then, like, actually, a lot of these like smaller clubs, like you say, are, like, are, like living them by along yeah. because they've got like they've also just got like a solid, they've got like a solid support base. They've got yeah. people who are loyal to yeah. them who are going, you know, they they're part of the community. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. For, I guess for for that local community, that's their local. Yeah, they don't go to the pubs. They will just go to that club every Friday, Saturday night. Yeah, and they know they know everyone that's going to be there because it's it's almost like a members club. Yeah, essentially yeah. for working class people. Yeah. Man, so I think if there was to be one conclusion from this episode, it would be this. Go to your local club. <laughs> Stop going to print works. Damn kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Um, so I think um, that's, that's about good time for us. Um, so if anyone has any, any final thoughts, share them now. My final thought is that basically, if you think of Corsica Studios and places like Dance Tunnel and Rhythm Factory as your local 24 hours, then places like Printworks and Drumshed are basically the big Tesco's you get in Tottenham. <laughs> like in a massive car park, 24-hour Tesco's. That's basically what's happening with dance music where they're shutting down local shops and they're just piling all of dance music into one big, massive 24-hour Tesco's. That's my <laughs> ending thought. Any, any, any more final reflections? Mine is always like savage comments on people that work at Google and want to like delude <laughs> themselves into thinking they have some kind of personality or like, or like youth to Stop speak thinking of. thinking you have a personality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll uh, just end on that. Mine is um, like, I look back on my kind of early clubbing years and I can pinpoint specific moments which were evolved around that particular event. Now in 10, 20 years time, what are you going to kind of, what are you going to remember like when it's all based when you went there for instagram just to say you were there or whatever like you can't really you can't how how long how long does that 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 moment and memory last and that's something to consider when you're going out is how long do you want this memory to last yeah, yeah. It's, it's somewhere between i don't want to form it 
and uh, 20 years. Um, yeah. And I, I think as a corollary to all that, I mean, you know, I, I, for one, am loath to say that small supporting a small business is a way to sort of oppose capital. But in this one special case, <laughs> in this one special case, capital seems to have a real visceral dislike of dance of dance music specifically um, when it has been put up next to an Apple commercial. So in this one special case, you have a dispensation where support in this case, supporting a small business also will generally be a way to keep a place alive that capital seems to want dead. In no other cases. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, Jesse, Nat and Tom, thank you all very much Thanks for, for coming around today. Um, oh, uh, buy Natalie's book. Oh, yeah, do. Uh, buy Natalie's yep. book. Um, Available at all good bookshops. Yeah, uh, at, at all good bookstop, bookshops and websites. Yep. Um, I, I always forget, is it steal as much as you can or steal everything you can? Steal as much as you can. Yes. Although a lot of people make that mistake. Yes. Yeah, as um, much as you can. Um, I've got a book coming out next year um, called Escape in Babylon. So, yeah, look out for that. Ooh. Tom? Um, I don't really... I've. I've got nothing. You see Tom on a night out. <laughs> you see Tom on a night out. Say hi. So I think that's uh, that's all for this edition of Riley's Commie Night Club. Uh, so once again, thank you to everyone here. Thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, we will catch you next month for a few more serious discussions. Bye. Bye.